Hello and welcome to the podcast, Mine Atle. Um, I've been waiting to have you on the show for quite some time. Um, I've known you for many years, but uh, more importantly, I want the world that doesn't know you to meet you. I know that you're well known in both communities of Cyprus, um, both main communities, I should say. Um, but uh, there are some people out there that haven't met you, so I think it's only fair that they do. Welcome to the program, Miner. Hello, it's so good to be here. Now, for transparency, I've known Miner for, we were just saying before the recording, that we've known each other for almost 18 years. Um, Miner was one of the very first people I met in Cyprus when I moved here in 2006. Um, by 2007, we had established a friendship Um we had met, remind me how we met. We met via... At a camp, a yeah. summer camp. We met at a bicommunal summer camp mm-hmm. that uh, took us to Paphos and then mm-hmm. to Kyrenia, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. We were about how many? 20, 30 kids at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were very young. We're still very young, so we were super young then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I remember meeting you and many other Greek and Turkish Cypriots that I had not met before. My best friend was in love with you at the camp. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, we're, we're about... 18 years, we're about I can one, safely disclose. <laughs> well, I, I'm blushing you anyway. We're one minute into the program and I've just been given this nugget. Okay. <laughs> well, look, so much has changed in the late last 18 years. I mean, like we went from being two friends that met at a camp mm-hmm. to being NGO and civil society activists to being political activists. We've um, seen each other at many bicommunal activities, at many rallies, many protests, many um, bicommunal events that were trying to bring the two communities, two main communities together. Um, we've both had children in the meantime. Um, you've got a lovely son who's the same age as my oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, just recently, we met up and had breakfast together. Uh, well, five of us. And well, your you. daughter proposed to my son. I did not know this. No? Oh, no. Nemi, uh, will you marry me? <laughs> okay. Not wanting to burst Lemmy's bubble, but I think I'm she's proposed. I'm going to be off air in the next two minutes, aren't I? That was like my second strike. Oh, third, I think I'm we're gone. two minutes. Yeah, well, this, this is not how I thought the podcast would start and end. But I'm like, well, thanks for coming to the show. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Look, I mean, now I do want to, let's jump forward. Let's not talk about our steps to where we are today. Let's jump to where we are today. Right as we speak, at the time of recording, mm-hmm. you are the first female uh, leader of a political party in the Turkish Cypriot community, um, TDP or TDP. Remind us what that stands for. Say the first. Social Democratic Party. Social Democratic Party in Turkish. Toplum Democracy Party. Yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, if I understand correctly, it's a um, a leftist liberal party. It was the party of the former Turkish Cypriot leader Mustafa Kenji, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> That's right. And it's also the party of the current Turkish Cypriot mayor of Northern Nicosia, if I'm not mistaken. That's right too. Um, so. It is a small party at the moment. It doesn't have representation in the um, in the in the yeah. For the first time since 1976, uh, in the last elections, we mm-hmm. couldn't pass the threshold. So. Okay, what is the threshold in the north? Five percent. Five percent. Okay, so it's actually more than the Greek Cypriot community. So, okay. Now I know that. Um, I mean, having the mayorship of Nicosia of Northern Nicosia, um, being I see that the party is relatively popular. Like, I mean, I I do meet lots of people that are involved with so would you say it's a party that um, represents more Turkish Cypriots or just leftists or what, what would you say the party represents because I mean we have CDP Çedep, yeah. which is traditionally a leftist Agel aligned mm. party what's mm. the difference with Çedep well, um, TDP has always been a social democratic party, mm-hmm. whereas uh, JTP was a socialist party. Mm-hmm. Um, so the economic policy is more liberal, which means that its profile, its member profile is more middle class, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's where the, the problem is, because it's a, it's a party that's very um, left in its um, foreign policy. Um, it s- supports a bicommunal, bizonal federal Cyprus. Mm-hmm. Um, and social democratic economic policies. Um, but at the same time, uh, the group that it's trying to address uh, in terms of e- economic policy are people that are more aligned with Turkey. Right. Actually, so I think that's one of the problems um, that we have. Another problem is that um, it states clearly that there is um, an intervention into the demographics of uh, northern Cyprus, uh, that there has been an influx of immigrants and something needs to be done to stop 
um, mm. the, the influx of immigrants from Turkey because uh, they're given citizenship immediately based on their political orientation rather than the number of years that they spend. Can I, can I cut in because um, looking from the outside, mm. I hear you say influx of migration. Yeah. Now, this is the rhetoric we hear, for example, from Alam in the South. Oh, there's an influx of migration. Exactly. What makes the difference between a concern of <clears throat> migration in the South from Syria, mm-hmm. Nigeria, mm-hmm. you name it? Mm-hmm. What makes a difference between that being okay and we try and support it and we have civil society activism for, you know, all refugees welcome, all migrants yeah. welcome. What's the difference in the North? What makes yeah. a migrant in the North different and not so welcome? And it's to- this paradox. It's, mm-hmm. this, it's this kind of dichotomy that actually leads to um, the problems that we have as a party in um, expressing our, our views. So mm-hmm. what, since 1974, um, the Turkish Cypriot administration has had an approach that says that whoever comes to Northern Cyprus or whoever is in Northern Cyprus is a Turk. So the phrase was gelen Türk, giden Türk. Those who come are Turk and those who leave are Turk. As long as they're coming from Turkey. Well, the, exactly. Yeah, right. Agree. So, and the and basically the policy there, the underlying ideology there, is that there's no such thing as a Cypriot identity. Mm-hmm. That there is a Turkish identity. And there are different people from different regions who speak Turkish, but we are all Turks. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fundamentally something that we as Tedeper are against. Mm-hmm. Because we believe strongly in the Cypriot identity, and we a lot of us identify ourselves as Turkish-speaking Cypriots, right, rather than just and Turkish, Turkish Cypriots. Okay. And when we say Turkish Cypriots, um, I think the emphasis is on being a Cyprus. We don't underestimate the importance of being a Cypriot, and there's a huge distinction between Cypriots and and Turks, mm-hmm. as far as we are concerned. Yeah, um, and it's an identity that needs to be protected and pre- and now even preserved because um, of the. Um, aggression that's being conducted towards it. So since 1974, Turkey has applied, as you know very well, an assimilation policy where they've they've sent thousands of people to live in Greek Cypriot homes. Um, they've given them incentives, and these are the these are the poorest people of Turkey because why else would you leave your home and your livelihood mm-hmm. and and try and uh, find an alternative place? And they've and they've come to Northern Cyprus and. And um, initially, they were easier assimilated into the Cypriot culture. Um, but because of the fact that so many people are encouraged to come from Turkey into North Cyprus, um, this started, you know, gradually. So first they would have had to have had passports, but then they said that they could do it with ID cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <clears throat> the um, citizenship process has become easier <clears throat> with each protocol that's signed between the so-called uh, TRNC and uh, Turkey um the it's become even easier for turkish investors to to come and to to buy property to establish businesses uh, and basically what's happening is that uh, the number statistically which we, this this is clear only based on observation because we don't have statistics and mm-hmm. the reason why we don't have the statistics is this policy also because they don't want us to have the statistics yeah we haven't had a census for over two decades yeah um And what's happening is that now when you, um, when you, for example, when we canvass and we're traveling across the, uh, the island, we can see that the number of Turkish Cypriots is reducing significantly. Would you say they are a minority? I, I, it's difficult. That question is very difficult for me to answer because it depends on who you identify as a Cypriot. So mm-hmm. for, for me, as a left-wing pro- progressive human rights activist, mm-hmm. you are a Cypriot if you believe that you are a Cypriot. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the bottom line. So for even me. if you are from Turkey and have come over with this process, if you come here and decide I am Cypriot and exactly. respect that, then you count them as a Cypriot. Okay, mm, respect. Absolutely. Yep. So yep. regardless of where their mother was born, where their <clears> father <throat> was born, yep. or even where they were born, if they, yep. if they were um, first generation uh, migrants, but more more so for the second generation migrants whose parents came in the 70s yep. and they were born in Cyprus. And now, and they have the children that were born in Cyprus. So imagine being born in a country, your children being born in a country, and somebody yeah. telling you that you're you're not a Cypriot. Yeah, I think there's a huge problem there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why it's hard for me to to respond with are they a minority because mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say not that we are yet. It's, it's so, hard to quantify the data. It's hard, to, you know. It's quantity over quality. It's uh, you know, are they Cypriots? Yeah. Are they Turkish? Do they identify as Cypriot? Were they born yeah. here? Were they born yeah. there? Yeah. Then, of course, you have so many Turkish Cypriots born in the UK. A lot of them have repatriated <clears> to <throat> Cyprus. I mean, there's so many layers to this onion of uh, exactly. identity in the exactly. north. Yeah, and the difference <clears> is <throat> the reason why 
I would say that we are not just this reason, obviously, but mm-hmm. the, the clear distinction between Elam policies and you know we're Cypriot, we don't want any migrants coming in. Yeah. The, the the issue is is that I, there is no way that I can say that all migrants from Turkey have are homogenous and they have the same pattern of behavior in yeah. terms of voting. Um, that's not the case, and of course, you know, all policies and projects can be supported by all all citizens mm-hmm. of, of of Northern Cyprus. But the problem is. Um, when the Turkish administration in Turkey, when AKP decides to do something, mm-hmm. and the last thing that they decided, for example, that was very important for our political will, was the election of Ersin Tatar, mm-hmm. um, they can get it done. Yep. Okay. So I don't know if you've ever heard Ersin Tatar speak anywhere, but he really is lacking intelligence. He can barely pull a st- sentence together. He... It, you know, he lacks all forms of any kind of uh, political eloquence. Um, basically, he's just a puppet of of Recep Tayyip Erdogan, and he was able to win against a leader like Mustafa Akinci. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I it mean, was actually quite popular. I mean, to have come and won the election as a leader of a micro party, yeah. and to have won the leadership. Yeah. Up against the Chedepe candidate, yeah. Ubepe candidate, that was quite impressive at the it time. It was impressive, yeah. but don't forget, Mustafa Kanjir has been involved in politics for um, longer than mm-hmm. than any of um, a lot of the politicians around, yeah. and you know his candidates were children compared to him. Basically, yeah, um, it was peanuts for him to be able to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Turkey had not intervened in the elections as they did in two thousand and twenty, he would have won again. Hands so down. coming back to twenty twenty, yeah. um, if I'm not mistaken, they were delayed because of the pandemic. Correct? It was yeah. Of the pandemic. So there was already that hit, let's say, yes. to the campaign. Now the results were actually incredibly close, weren't we they? Lost by four thousand votes. By four thousand votes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now. From what I could see being reflected in the Greek Cypriot media Mm -hmm. was that electioneering was happening in the north Mm -hmm. where agents, let's say, from Turkey were canvassing villages. Not just agents, the ambassador himself. Mm -hmm. The entire embassy, the entire Turkish embassy turned into a campaign um, center, center, basically. So basically, yeah, it, it was... And even with all that pressure, with all that campaigning, with all those promises, and if I understand... Promises and threats. People were threatened with their livelihood. Mm -hmm. People were threatened with... um, People were told that they were going to lose their jobs, Mm -hmm. that they were going to be put on boats and sent back to Turkey. Um, People were given money. People people were um, threatened with their children's jobs. And we reported all of these in a report, and we have it published in English as well. Yeah. Okay, and so and then and and yet still, he lost the election, or Mr. Takinji lost the election by such a small percentage, yes. by such a small yeah. margin. Yeah. So it's it, it speaks to his strength yeah. that he had at the time. And what we were experiencing yeah. then, I just want to go back to mm-hmm. and and kind of wrap up the immigration issue, yeah. considering you made the comparison between Elam and I. Um, but the, the 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 issue is that we would go to these villages and mm. we would go to speak to these people. Um, and we would see, and they would say that um, the embassy has told them to vote in this way, mm-hmm. and that's why they are going to vote that way, no matter what we said, yeah. and what, no matter what project we put forward, and no matter how much we tried to express that this would be to the detriment of the Turkish Cypriot community, because anti-solution policies have always been to the detriment of, of Turkish Cypriots. So we had mm-hmm. scientific, historical evidence to support what we were saying. Yeah. But they were they were they completely shut down, um, and so in that situation, when your political will is jeopardized with through an immigration policy, mm-hmm. at that point you need to say you need to say stop. Yep. It's not that I have a problem with people coming. I think Cyprus is a cosmopolitan country. Mm-hmm. We're an island in the Mediterranean, in the in the um, Eastern Mediterranean, um, and I think. We can thrive on our multicultural capacity. And, and it always has. It's what I keep saying An to identity. you, that Cyprus has always been cosmopolitan. It's yeah. always been multicultural. Yeah. It has always been a mixed bag. I mean, we've had, I mean, apart from the fact that everyone in the region has had a go at Cyprus, mm-hmm. has either occupied it or run it or stationed themselves here, mm-hmm. from the Brits on the other side of Europe to the French on the other side of Europe to the Italians not so far away, the Venetians, I should say. Um, we've had Genoese on the other Island. We've had obviously we've had the Ottomans, we've the Turkey, um, we've had Greeks throughout ancient history here. We've had 
Persians, we've had Arabs, we've had Mamluks, we've had everyone come through Cyprus. Um, and let's speak to for, for the Greek Cypriots for a moment. That's okay, yes, they are the largest ethnic group on the island, let's say, we're going to label them this. Um, but they aren't by far, they aren't such a big majority that you can actually say that this island is a Greek Cypriot island. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just today in the Republic of Cyprus controlled areas in the south, um, one in four are not Cypriot. Mm-hmm. One in four are from Europe or from the Middle East, from other countries. So we're actually second most multicultural entity in the European Union after mm-hmm. Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. Um, now in Luxembourg, we know that most are there because they're migrant workers working for EU institutions and whatever. Um, so we already, just looking at the South, we already are the second most migrant, most multicultural country in Europe. Um, <clears throat> on top of that, of the three in four that are labeled Greek Cypriot, one in three is actually a British Greek Cypriot, an Australian Greek Cypriot, mm-hmm. a repatriated Greek Cypriot of some sort. So with experiences of the outside world, with Greek not being their mother tongue. So you're looking at two in four not having Greek as their mother tongue. And yet somehow Greek manages to survive. The Orthodox religion continues to dominate. Mm-hmm. I dare say that those that fear the domination of their ethnicity and their language and their religion and their culture shouldn't really be so worried because after millennia of people coming and going, this culture has managed to survive through. Mm-hmm. The same being said for the Turkish Cypriots. Mm-hmm. The Turkish Cypriot dialect continues to thrive. Yes, it's been influenced by mainland Turkey, or I shouldn't say mainland Turkey, by Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um it's had uh, Turkish policy, especially since 1974, running the show in the north. Yet somehow the Turkish separate identity has not only remained and survived to a point, it's been damaged, but as you mentioned, it has been adopted by those coming in. So there are many Turks from Turkey that have moved to Cyprus that have adopted the separate or the Turkish separate identity, mm-hmm. culture, way of life, belief patterns, um, which says a lot. Now, why is that? I don't know. Is it because we're an island and it, um, like a petri dish, things tend to stay mm-hmm. inside and fester in a good and bad way. What I'm curious about is tomorrow, whether this island stays divided or whether it reunites or whether it federates, confederates, whatever happens in the future, how do we differentiate between the separate communities. Now, let's keep for a moment the Maronites, Armenians, and Latins to the mm-hmm. side. Let's just stick to the two main communities. What what unites the Greek Cypriots to the Turkish Cypriots, and what divides them? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd, I'd say that um, it's it's basically a strong affiliation and a strong sense of identity to the Cypriot identity itself, mm-hmm. of being a Cypriot um, I mean, we have generations. My, when, I think I traced back about seven generations to Cyprus in my family. Mm-hmm. So, and I did one of these twenty-three and me DNA things yeah. that came out eighty-three percent separate, whatever that means. But I think the biggest, um, the, the biggest, the strongest common ground that we have is this sense of responsibility yeah. and and love <clears throat> for Cyprus itself. Yeah. And I think there's a huge opportunity that's born out of that in terms of if we do um, somehow find a way of overcoming the nationalism and um even though i i feel like we're losing agency as turkish cypriots and greek cypriots mm-hmm. in the cyprus problem i think it's more now between um turkey and um and other forces shall yeah. i say rather than the, the cypriots themselves but if we do somehow manage to overcome that or keep a strong civil society and focus on things that are best for Cyprus in terms of our environmental policy, our gender policy, um, our economic policy, all of these things that basically will maintain that Cypriots will live good lives because we have it quite good in Cyprus. I mean, yeah. it, we live on a beautiful island um, with amazing weather conditions and our economy is not so bad. I mean, obviously the Turkish Cypriot community have had to suffer a lot from using the Turkish lira, yeah. but still compared to Turkey, um, you know, so the when we look at the public sector, civil servants earn a lot more than mm-hmm. than Turkish civil servants do. Our businesses were still able to charge 
you know, a lot higher rates than they do in Turkey. So when we look at our neighbors in Turkey, Turkish Cypriots economically are better off. Yeah. Um, so I think you know, as an island, economically, we, we do quite well. We live in a nice country and... The, it's actually when you when you go outside so often when you go to other countries and you look at what's going on and you're able to experience um, the the things that other people have to experience you you kind of realize how how good things are in Cyprus. So on that front, I think there's a huge opportunity. And the things that segregate us mainly, I, I would say, are the the nationalist pol- nationalist policies and attitudes on both sides. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of, and I think that we still haven't recovered from the Annan plan in 2004. Mm-hmm. The Turkish Cypriots are still kind of upset with the Greek Cypriots for saying no, for voting no. Mm-hmm. And the sad thing is, if there were a referendum tomorrow, I'm not sure the Turkish Cypriot community would vote yes this time. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, I think if there were a referendum tomorrow, the Greek Cypriot community may say yes. Yeah. So this is something that we need to identify and foresee and work to change. Yeah. There was like a really strong influx of um, projects for um, routing for bicommunal exchange with mm-hmm. the USAID and the UN. And um, that has all dried up. Mm-hmm. That, that's not happening anymore. And the only funds that we have are EU funds. And a lot of that isn't really, there isn't um, a prerequisite to have bicommunal activity. There are some incentives, but it's not a condition like it yeah. was with, with other grants. And I think that's kind of um, leading to um, a big gap in civil society activities that are that are uh, doing bicommunal work. I mean, it was one of these activities that that led to us meeting each other, for example. Look, uh, I want to touch on that because I've always questioned. I don't, I don't want to use the word doubt, but I've always questioned these bicommunal activities in the sense of. It's one thing to get the Costas and the Minez of Cyprus together, have a little party or to work on a project or paint a breakwater wall in Paphos or, you know, clean up a hammam or whatever. Like, it's one thing to do that and friendships are formed. Mm. But as we know, with the green line still being there, with the checkpoints having huge queues to cross over, that's super inconvenient. It's not like we regularly jump into our cars and cross over and meet up mm. like we do with people on yeah. our own side of the fence, let's say. Mm. Um, the logistics of meeting up are difficult. So whilst online, on Facebook, we talk to each other day and night, we share things with each other, we converse day and night, digitally we are united. Okay, I really comfortably mean say that when I say digitally, we are united. We're one, one, one island. Um, we do when the opportunity arises, meet up, and everything is normal between us and whatever. We don't have any um, division, let's say. But I don't think these projects are going to continue to help people grow because this this not understanding the other doesn't exist anymore. We know what's on the other side of the green line now, which we didn't know 20 years ago. But what I do think now the focus should shift to in the sense of bicommunalism is what these business groups are doing, trying to get businesses across the green line cooperating with each other because we all know that economic drivers – make people cross. Economic drivers make people work together. Economic drivers ensure that people aren't a conflict with each other. So I do think there is a lot of value in these um, uh, chambers of commerce, corporation projects, activities. I think that um, when we become economically um, interconnected, we will be able to see a lot more drive forward. Um, I think this is the dream that uh, the Stelios Foundation has, for example, mm-hmm. that you know throws ten thousand euros at all these bicommunal business partnerships and whatever. Okay, they're symbolic. I mean, yep, you get one ten thousand dollar prize and off you go. I th- I would like to see those go into something a little bit more sustainable. Like, you know, if this business continues and if it grows, and I'll invest in your business. You know, if your business is proving that it's sustainable, I will continue to invest in you. I think that can drive more bridging between the two communities. Um, Being somebody in politics, I'd like to ask you what your thoughts are on checkpoints. If more checkpoints should open up, Mm. what are the pros and cons of that? Well, more so than being um, um, a politician, my son studies on the South Mm -hmm. and I live on the North. So Mm -hmm. he goes to the French school. And I can say that I spend an hour and a half a day getting him to school and an hour and a half getting back to my office. So that's three hours a day 
on my behalf and three hours a day on his father's behalf. So mm-hmm. he has parents that spend six hours a day traveling um, to get him to school and back in an island like Cyprus, yeah. where it would take that much time to to get to Kafas <laughs> or Kafas. Yeah. Um, and so, your commute from your house to the yes. school should only be about 15, 15 20 minutes 20 at most, yeah. So it, I believe strongly that the checkpoints need to, to open up. And also, I mean, in this day and age, Modern technology can be used to to speed those checkpoints up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there could be. We used to have a barcode system, if you remember, when the um, yeah. checkpoints first opened for students, yeah. and then that was you know completely eradicated. But it made a lot of sense you know, just to have this thing with rather than the officers typing and and if they're slow officers. There was this Disney animation with like a small, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgot what it was. The sloth yeah, typing. The sloth, yeah, the yeah, sloth, exactly. And, and, and sometimes, you know, yeah. no offense to any of the immigration officers that yeah. are listening, but I really, I relive that experience um, <laughs> when it's a new officer or someone's had a bad yeah. day. And um, so, you know, it, it, they should be opened and it, and it should be, um, there should be more. And we need to be doing more for the checkpoints to be... Um, I just don't understand why they don't. I mean, it doesn't make any economic sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make economic sense because... As far because, as I'm it's just political. Yeah, because look, at the end of the day, if it's to keep people apart, well, yeah. they've kind of failed at that because the checkpoints are there. Okay. There's nine of them, if I'm, not, if yeah. I'm counting right at yeah. the top of my head. You have nine checkpoints on this tiny island. Mm. However, the reason why we're asking for more, even though it's a tiny island, is because of this gridlock. There are just so many people trying to cross. Yeah. That speaks to itself. Yeah, and we only have one in Nicosia, which is crazy, though, yeah, I mean, for a car. Yeah, the, the capital only has one car crossing. Mm. It's inconvenient for the communities on either side of that checkpoint, all that traffic that gets generated by that. Mm. But um, you can have nine checkpoints across the island, but in Nicosia, where the people live, the majority, yeah, that needs to be improved. It was great when Derinia opened up. It mm. helped uh, open up that end of the island, and um, I can tell you that it's changed the vibe down there. Mm. It's it much more positive um but i sometimes sit back and i look at the island i look at the european union and i say okay you have 500 million people moving freely over an entire continent mm. where you cross countries you, you cross countries districts regions i mean it's mm. incredible I mean, you are flying and uh, you're in airplanes you're on boats and it's all with an id or not even checked at all crossing mm. all these check mm. uh, all these uh, administration zones let's mm. say And here we are in this tiny little Cyprus where we can't move freely. Now, I I, I really can hear the voices saying, oh, but we've got to be careful because if we open up the checkpoints to free movement, um, you know, all the illegal immigrants on one side or the other will start moving around. Doesn't Europe say the same thing? Mm. We had millions of Syrians crossing Europe recently. And yes, some walls did go up for a while, Mm. but in general, the freedom of movement continued for such a small island if you had that freedom of movement it would make massive changes it would modernize a lot of people in the sense that um they'd be able to see how each other operates and whatever also the greek cypriots not allowing Turks and then the, the word they use, settlers f- mm. from Turkey, not allowing them to cross south. Unless they marry a Cypriot Turk, mm. Mm. Um, they a Turkish-speaking Cypriot. You know, if they marry an indigenous Cypriot, then suddenly that non-indigenous person is allowed to c- go south. Mm. Mm. Suddenly they become kosher. Mm-hmm. But if you allowed everyone in the north to be able to come to the south, you would expose them to... Greek Cypriot values or European values or Republic of Cyprus values, whatever it is that you're trying to portray, Mm. you'd be also engaging them. They would be learning from you. I'm not even going to talk about the reverse. Or you would be learning from them. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Let's not not make that suggestion to them because they'll they'll panic. I mean, we we share the same... concern when it comes mm. to polit- our political will being um, infiltrated and, and being usurped basically yeah. so at that point I completely understand mm. but for free movement as you said I just do not understand why um, these people cannot be um, are denied uh, entry into the republic but also in terms of citizenship there's a huge problem there too mm-hmm. so you know um, if as I was saying, the, the example that I gave before where people were born in Cyprus and their children are born in Cyprus. Now, if that child applies for Republic of Cyprus identity, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ID. So if they're, if, if one of their parents is, um, a Turk Cypriot and, and one of their parents is a Turk and they apply for Republic of Cyprus, um, identity, what is the danger in that person becoming a Cypriot? 
And what is the alternative? This is what we need to think of. Okay, I can answer that because yeah. I've, I've pondered about this for so long. And as yeah. you know, we have common friends yeah. that are in this situation yeah. where they are born to at least one parent being an indigenous mm-hmm. Cypriot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, according to Cypriot, according to the Republic of Cyprus laws, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about community morals and values. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the Republic of mm-hmm. Cyprus laws mm-hmm. that claims to be a democratic state, that mm-hmm. claims to be a modern EU member state, mm-hmm. a UN-recognized state. Mm-hmm. Its own laws, I'm not even going to talk about the laws coming out of Brussels, which copy the same laws mm-hmm. that say that if one of the parents is a Cypriot, mm-hmm. then the child gets Cypriot citizenship, yeah. period. Yeah. You have Cypriots born in Australia, in the UK, to one Cypriot parent Mm -hmm. who get the Cypriot citizenship. And that makes sense. Yeah. For a republic to say that, you know, I will give you citizenship if one of your parents are Cypriot. Yeah. It's a positive thing. Yes. Um, Because what what happens is that person affiliates more Mm -hmm. with the Cypriot identity, if they're given the identity, than they do with the other one. Yeah. So if you had these 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 kids that aren't getting the so basically there's been a conscious mm-hmm. political decision mm-hmm. that Republic of Cyprus will not give Republic of Cyprus nationality IDs mm-hmm. passports mm-hmm. to let's for the sake of this argument mixed mm-hmm. kids okay mm-hmm. from from Cypriot and non Cypriot parents. Mm-hmm. This is first of all beyond unacceptable because it actually insults the republic of cyprus democratic mm-hmm. values mm-hmm. the state the law mm-hmm. and it insults the european law yeah. i mean it it's it, it makes one doubt yeah. yeah the severity the 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 maturity the legitimacy of the republic yeah. when it doesn't abide by its own rules and and you know uh, alongside all of those legal mm. things that you said and, and moral things that you said on a practical level mm. if you think about it so i've been advocating advocating for federal cyprus my entire life mm-hmm. um if i were to marry if i had married um a turkish immigrant mm-hmm. um at the, and because of my political views i'm yeah. i'm now not allowed to enter turkey Yep. Okay. So I can't fly out of um, the Timbo, the Erjan airport. Mm-hmm. So um, my son, if he, if I hadn't married a Cypriot, if I had married a Turk and my son was a child of mixed marriages, he wouldn't be able to fly out of Larnaca and Paphos. Yep. And I wouldn't be able to fly out of Erjan. So You'd my son would be trapped on this island. Yep. Can you imagine? Yeah. Um, and this is a case for, at the moment, for hundreds of... Uh, of mixed marriage, Turkish Cypriots. I thought it was thousands. And these, and these are for, for people whose parents are not allowed into Turkey. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, and, um, and <clears throat> there are thousands who, who are, are being denied. And what mm. the, the problem is, I mean, with the 14 measures that have just been am- announced by the Republic of Cyprus, which were great measures as far as I'm concerned, there's no time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not giving numbers, so they're not saying we're going to give this many students identity by this date for example and it's also a problem in terms of um education mm-hmm. because if you are an eu citizen then you can apply to yep. european universities with eu fees and if not where are you going to go to study to turkey well and the other thing is that yeah it, it's almost like the republic of cyprus is encouraging the turkification exactly. of these kids exactly. yeah and, and this is the irony it's an own goal it's there, a there, self-shooting there are these in the foot young yeah. children yeah. Y- young youths shall i say and yeah. children who are very pro- progressive who mm-hmm. believe in a bicommunal bizonal federal cyprus yeah. you're going to lose them one of these the the head of the um, organization for children of mixed marriages she's a turkish cypriot who call, actually called Turkey's presence in Cyprus an occupation. Mm-hmm. And because she did that, she was trolled, she was threatened with rape, yeah. all sorts of you know threats, crazy things. Um, but she is still denied, and she, she studies medicine, by the way, and mm-hmm. she's still denied Republic of Cyprus um, ID. And, you know, so the, there are these children uh, uh, who uh, want to be, yeah. who feel Cypriot, they want to be, they, they want to struggle for a bicameral bizonal, they want to live European values in a secular society. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are people that you will be happy to. And I, when I say that, I say, you know, very begrudge, I'm very sensitive, I with, right? <laughs> um, and the Republic of Cyprus is saying to them, no. Mm. Go to Turkey. How? Yeah. Get an how education can, in Turkey. How can the Republic of Cyprus to Turkish yeah. indoctrination become mm. more Turkish? <clears throat> yeah. and, and make it harder for us to liberate the island, as they say, yeah. or reunite the island, whatever you want to use. Yeah. I mean, how can the Republic of Cyprus look at these Turkish 
Cypriots, mixed marriage kids, how can they look at them in the face and say to them, you are not one of us? Or how can they look at them in the face and say, hey, fight for reunification and fight for peace on this island Mm -hmm. when I will not let you become one of us? These people are begging to become one of us. They're begging to become Republic of Cyprus. You can't even tell them to go home because (laughs) this is their home. And what's more, this was their parents' home. It's it's immoral. It's it's actually illegal and it's immoral. Their parents were born in this country. No, and and this is a a policy that we're going to look back on in 20, 30 years' time and use as an example of what not to do in the failures of the past. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day this becomes the past because, okay, there are Turkish Cypriots with Republic of Cyprus IDs that absolutely hate the Republic of Cyprus, that absolutely hate the idea of reunification, that absolutely want to be part of Turkey, whatever, and they've gotten the citizenship because of convenience. I, I acknowledge that. We all know that's a reality. And you know what? Whether we like it or not, that's their right. They have that right as being indigenous Cypriots. Um, there are Greek Cypriots who hate the Republic of Cyprus or would like to unite with Greece. There are so many people here that want to unite with Greece. Why are their Republic of Cyprus IDs not being taken off them? Okay. Suddenly, oh, it's their right to have the ID, mm. the, the, the nationality. Mm. You know, so it, it's picking, a che- it's cherry picking, and it's yeah. not, it's not okay, mm. and it's going to embarrass us sooner or later. And this is why I think that we haven't really. I'd love the idea of us being digitally united. I really like that mm. term. But since you said it, I'm not sure how convinced I am that we are digitally united because even this, for example, mm-hmm. is something that we could have run digital campaigns on mm-hmm. uh, together as Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriots, demanding this on, for on behalf of of, of others. Um, and I don't think that we do that very well. Like sometimes there are Greek Cypriot campaigns with mm-hmm. hashtags that I just miss. It goes over my head. I, just, I don't get yeah. the context. And I think it's the same vice versa. Mm-hmm. I know you've sent me a few messages sometimes saying, what's this? And yeah. I've sent you messages saying, what's this? So we, I really do think, feel like we need to do more, or even on that platform, even on digital platforms. This is a discussion we had some time ago, if you remember, where we were discussing that the Turkish separate, and now for lack, for, just for the, the sake of this discussion, I'm going to use all controversial terms just so we can get the message across. It's like we need Ooh, a Greek. argue. Yeah, no, no. It's like we need a Greek separate ambassador yeah. to the north and a Turkish separate ambassador to the mm-hmm. south mm-hmm. that can actually relay the messaging, mm-hmm. relay the sentiment. But I think those people are us. That's yes. what we need to do. Yeah. And we don't do it. We need to step and up. And we're busy people. I do understand that. Yeah. But no, but, but, see, but this is where, more. for example, the Republic of Cyprus, I remember some time ago, they were talking about opening an office for Turkish separate affairs and mm. you know, having people there relaying intelligence and mm. not, not for spying, but for like, you know, telling people, telling the Greek separates what's happening over there, yeah. what's it like over there, what are they doing? You know, what, And the right wing, they're doing mm. this. The right wing are organized. Of course they are. Okay. So yeah. as soon as the 14 measures were announced, yeah. Ersin Tatar and his... Um, mm. Is his, I don't know what to call them, entourage, should yeah. I say. Um, they immediately put out in all media, you know, what we call this pool media, yeah. uh, messages saying that the 14 measures were traps yeah. and um, they were a deliberate attempt to isolate the Turkish Cypriots. Um, and so even before the Turkish Cypriots even knew what the content of the 14 measures was, they were hearing negative anti-propaganda about them. Reminds me of 2004. Yeah, so they're doing it. They're yeah. doing what we should be doing, but we're yeah. not doing it because, I don't know why, because we've we've kind of lost our hope or we don't feel the sense of responsibility that we did or we simply just don't have time. Economic conditions are becoming very difficult for all of us and so we're trying, mm. we're, we're kind of su- trying to survive in these difficult economic conditions. I don't know. But what I know is that we need to step up and take responsibility as those ambassadors and do more. But during my leadership for the last two years, I, I felt really disappointed in myself and in my team because mm. we kind of, we failed in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with so many, um, inverted commas, internal issues yeah. that we didn't really have the time and the resources, but maybe that was what we should have done in the first place. And so in, in, in the next period, um, if the new administration in my political party will allow it, mm-hmm. um, uh, that's going to be my, my priority. I want to take on, um, rapprochement and, uh, reconciliation and, and that, that will be my focus. 
Okay, no, no, I, I look forward to that. And I'm, mm. as always, you know, I'm willing to and contribute I. and help. And uh, I'm much freer these days to do that. <laughs> well, look, let, let, let's step away from politics for a moment because I'm sure that everyone that's listening has um, had enough. And <laughs> we've talked about it a lot in the past oh as well. Oh, my God, I don't know what to talk about if there's no politics. <laughs> there's, there's more, there's more to the world than to politics. <laughs> I want you to tell me a little bit about living with your son in Cyprus mm. and uh, tell us about your... Um, your, 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 your oh, yes, what, I can what, talk about this. Yeah, yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> I love, I, I mean, all parents love their children. Uh-huh. And I really think that he's just the most amazing human being in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very interesting, actually, because I've raised a feminist son yep. in a Turkish Cypriot community. I wanted to prioritize that he can speak Greek and uh, another European language. So he's at the French school. So he can speak um, French and he's trying to speak Greek and his Turkish is, is okay. <laughs> It should be better. Um But he's just been, I mean, this is a child where um, he's grown up with all these values that we didn't have as we were growing up. So mm-hmm. even when he was a toddler, I'd knock on his door and ask him for permission to enter his room. Um, and it's only now that I'm seeing what the consequences of that are. So yeah. one example is um, I never allowed him to use guns or, mm-hmm. or any kind of weaponry in his toys. And if we if he was given any on his birthday, um, we would exchange them. Because there was a strict no guns, no weapons policy in the house. And this year he got a Nerf gun. Have you ever played with one of those? I, got three I, daughters, I, so. I, I haven't, but I know what they are. <laughs> okay, right. So he got a Nerf gun. It was a huge thing. I've never, I had never seen anything so, you know, advanced um, um, in terms of toy guns. And it was electronic as well, oh. right? So it would spit out these Nerf guns. And he, <laughs> he came up to me and he said, Mummy, I know that wars are bad and weapons are bad and I'm against them and I don't think there should be any in the world, but this toy is really cool and I, I really want to, can I just play with it once and then we'll give it away? And I said, you know what? No, I think, I think it's okay. I think we can play with these Nerf guns now. But so he had, he had one. So what are you going to do with one gun? So I, I went and bought another <coughs> one. So we then had two. And, um, and, that's and how I wanted it the same one because, <laughs> you know, his one was cool. So um, we had these Nerf guns and we were playing in the house and turned it into like this war zone. Obviously, the, the soldiers were um, female socialists, but, <laughs> but, 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 you know, and there was no race thing going on. It was just a, it was an economic war anyway. And um, so we had two Nerf guns in the house. And then one day his um, neighbor came over to play um, and he said he'd be playing with the guns. And I said, look. Um, I've had a really long day. I'm really tired. So I'm going to close this door. There's a door that divides the house from the front section to the back section. And I said, you can play in any of the rooms you like in the back, but please don't come over to the front. And he came up to me and he whispered, he said, you spend your life struggling against borders and you've just put one up in our house. Oh, no. And I think that's very hypocritical. But my guest is here now and I don't want to argue in front of him. So let's leave this for later. And I spent like the whole time they were playing with these guns in the house. I spent like 40 minutes thinking, oh no, like when he, what, how is this debate going to go? You what have what will I say? You by yourself. You should be proud. And, and the most recent thing that he did that really, again, shook me to the core was I'm, I decided not to run again for the mm-hmm. leadership of the party. And it was, it was a difficult decision to make, um, for many reasons. Um, and I, it, I think I appreciate the experience of of this feeling as in itself because it's, it's not a nice feeling to to give up the power and I understand now these politicians that have been there for years and years and years and don't want to let it go. You've tasted the power. <laughs> I have more empathy for them now than I did before because it really is it's it's um it's a really tricky I can't even identify the feeling mm-hmm. like the new slogan of the the new candidate who's the only candidate was um a new period new hope. And I felt like personally offended by that a little bit. I was like, hmm, why, why do you need new hope? What was wrong with the previous hope? So, so I've been having all these like really tricky feelings. And, and last night we were making pan- pancakes with my son. And, um, I decided to share these feelings with him. I, I share quite a lot with him actually. And I said to him, you know, I'm not running for the leadership and on Sunday I'm not going to be the leader of the party anymore. Uh, we have our Congress on Sunday. And he said, why? Why didn't you, why didn't you run? And more importantly, he said something that really shook me. He said, I don't like this thing that you've made such an important decision without discussing it with me first. Wow. I was like, whoa. He said, I really would have liked it if you discussed this with me first. This is an, this is an important decision. He's going to teach you so much, Mine. He's going to teach you said, so much. He also said, you 
for me, you're a leader and you should have kept leading. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I should have told all these people I spoke to about this issue. He, my eight-year-old son was the person I should have spoke to. Him. And I said, well, look, you know, there's, 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 it's, it's not the end. I'm still 37 years old. You know, it could happen in the future. And he said, oh, he said, I hope so. So, yeah, I think. I- well, I know as a fact that you have not reached the top of your ladder. Mm. You have certainly, you've chipped away at the glass ceiling. Um, and I know that you have so much more in you because I, from day one, when I first met you, I knew that you could go all the way to the United Nations Secretary General level. Okay. So I think that this has been one good period where you have learned a lot. People have learned from you as well. And that's now an asset and a skill for you to contribute to whatever the next steps are from here mm. on. Um, the leadership of Teddy Pear is not the end of the road and is not the highest you'll ever go. Now, I'm not saying that um, you need to be higher or at the top. It's whatever pleases you, makes you happy mm. and whatever's going to be good for you and your family. Mm. That's important. Um, if you don't feel, I mean, in politics, yeah. well, it's such a harsh atmosphere. I yeah. mean, that world is a really mean world, Costa. Yeah. And if you're a young woman, it's even meaner. <laughs> I, 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 I admire you, and I've been saying this to people that I've talked to for all your whole leadership, that to be young, female, pro-Cyprus, and in the Turkish Cypriot community in the north, you had all odds stacked against you, mm-hmm. and you have shone through. Um, your outreach also to not only the communities in the north, but the communities in the south. I mean, just recently you met with Anita Dimitriou. Who's who, amazing, by the way. I really, yeah. I'm so impressed by her. Well, I mean, like, like as we discussed, I mean, like, I'm really glad you met with her. And, I'm, and I have a lot of respect for Anita as well. And I think that she's got an incredible future ahead of her. Mm. Um, and I am hoping that she will still be calling on you even after this weekend that's coming. Mm-hmm. By the time anyone's listening to these things will have changed. But um, I know that um, people like you need to be listened to because you have a finger on the pulse and you have a genuine love for this country. You have a genuine love for Cyprus, what was, what is, and what will be. And, um, and it's not just about Cyprus. You, as a family person, as a friend, as a community leader, oh, cry. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. Look, I don't just bring anyone to my podcast. <laughs> no, and uh, I think that um, Cyprus and Europe and the world needs to see more Mineo out there. And I and I know. Look, and I think um, I know that you, you work as a lawyer. Um, so blessed are your clients. Um, and I know that you also work with Kaya. Now, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, that's a, it's a women's organization. Mm-hmm. I think it shaped who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we met as mm-hmm. well as Kayad's camps. Kayad is a women's organization um, that believes strongly in female empowerment, mm-hmm. in strengthening the role of women in society, and also um, the peace culture, establishing a peace culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only the peace culture in our homes, but also island-wide and worldwide. Yep. And... Um, it's a strong believer in in respect and tolerance, uh, not just for but for 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 men and women, but also for our environment. And um, the leader of the organisation is Melala Kunja, mm-hmm. um, um, Mustafa Kunja's wife, mm-hmm. uh, who I tease on this issue. I say, you know, she's my she's my first leader, and then and then there's you. <laughs> and um, um, so it's a, it's a great organisation. It's done amazing things. I mean, there are a lot of things that we still need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one example of something that we lobbied and advocated for is um, a women's shelter in Northern Cyprus, uh, legal aid. So if you were prosecuted, if you were charged for rape um, and you couldn't afford a lawyer, the authorities would give you a, a pro bono lawyer. But if you were raped every day and you wanted to apply to the family courts for a protection order, yeah. you had nothing. Even if you found a voluntary lawyer, you'd have to pay so much to be able to access the courts in court fees and things like this. And, and it was Kayad that lobbied and advocated and, and made this change. Um, we devised um, a gender equality uh, curricula that was going to be implemented into the schools. And there's an interesting story there, actually. We spent four years lobbying for it with four different um, so-called governments as administrations. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Finally, it was the right-wing uh, conservative guy who, uh, conservative big C, not C, not small C, who um, 
signed the protocol with Kayad and we were just about to enter schools and uh, they pulled the plug on it immediately and we don't think that was the Turkish Cypriot administration at all. That was the embassy, that was Turkey, mm-hmm. saying there's no way you're letting Kayad into schools to talk about gender equality. And Because if it happens in LGBTQ Cyprus, then Turkey will be inspired, Turkish communities will be inspired well, to… they just didn't want us anywhere near their children, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, <coughs> so… Also changes, we've recently, um, well, actually it's not recent anymore. In 2018, we submitted a draft uh, domestic violence bill, mm-hmm. which we um, did a lot of work with MIGS, Mediterranean Institute of Gender Studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the organizations in the UK. And we drafted a what I think is a great bill, but it still hasn't been um, um, accepted, uh, voted in in Parliament. But eventually, I guess it will. Um, so we do a lot of important work as that women's organization and it's important to me. And I think this two year leadership where I've had to step a little bit away from Kayad's activities, mm-hmm. um, um, it really has given me so much more motivation to do work in that gender area because we look very kind of, we look like a, a community that's gender equal, gender just at least as separate communities. But we're really not. You think we look? <laughs> we're really not. I mean, <laughs> as a female pos- politician, things I've I've experienced things like people coming up to me and mm. kind of using their two fingers to to pinch my cheek before we go into a meeting, or <laughs> you know, always commenting about my weight, always. So you know, um, you go on a TV program and you you talk about all these treaties and, and legislation and you know history and the future and you. you pull out all these projects that need to be done and you come off the program and then somebody calls and you answer and you think, great, I'm going to get some feedback. And they say, oh, you look like you've put on some weight. You know, do you- <laughs> <laughs> or the front page news the next day is like, look at the jacket Mineo wore yesterday. I, or the- <laughs> I've been called a stupid woman. I've been mm. told to take my son and go home. Mm-hmm. And Lemmy has, you know, for the last two years, that's why I was really surprised with his reaction. I was like, you know, I, I wanted to spend more time with you. I'm not happy with pulling you around to these meetings and things like that. And he said, I was fine to do that. You should have discussed it with me first. You know, I, I learn in these things. And it, but, the, but the thing is, when you're giving a speech or you're talking in a meeting that's at 10.30 and your son needs to be up at 6.30 the next day and he's sat on a this cushion that I carry yeah. in the back of my car, you know, on his tablet, um, mm. playing or watching something that I probably don't approve of because he can now override the parental controls. <laughs> he has the skills to do this. Um, you feel guilty. You're, you're guilty all of the time. But how, how many men did you see in these programs carrying their children along None. with them? Yeah. None. And let me say something. I'm going to play devil's advocate here because yeah. as a male mm-hmm. and as somebody that, as you know, is politically active, I go to events, I go to talks and I've been on panels and whatever. I find, and I was always like quite comfortable with taking my oldest with me when it was just the one. I found a lot of pushbacks, a lot of pushbacks to me as a male bringing my child. Um, I felt like it was okay for the woman to bring the child. Mm. Still makes life difficult for you, but when I was bringing a child, or we've always saying I have I can't make it because I'm parenting or whatever, mm. it was like you're an alien. Yeah, you know, so or you're and, a cop out. Yeah, and so and and You've this got is a some crap wife, mm. and and you don't have the the yeah, you know, <laughs> and and this is where I come along. To- and this is where I come along from my position of privilege, sure, mm. but as a male, I'm also calling out saying that. We men need help as well mm-hmm. to do things to even up the score, even yeah. up the balance. And we between. welcome it. Yeah. We no. welcome paternity leave and all these rights that yeah. need to be. But, but, but still, no, you, you'd be amazed. I mean, I've had um, female bosses mm-hmm. who have not been keen on um, flexible working conditions mm-hmm. or, you know, work from home or mm-hmm. children are sick and you're going to stay home to look after them or bring a child to work or leave early to pick up a child from school. And from female bosses, I've had pushback yeah. on this. I, I remember yeah. when I was uh, breastfeeding, um, my I was in a hearing and the judge was a female judge who had mm. had two children of her own. Mm-hmm. And I, I kept asking for breaks and she wouldn't give any. And then I mm. had to um, pull away my blazer and show her what had happened. And what had happened was I had milk yeah. <laughs> streaming through my body. You know, my underwear was soaked in milk. <laughs> In breast milk, um, and but the male judges they're they're more t- tolerant and they they are more flexible. But females generally, um, they become a bit more because they 
are also under a pressure to act male. And, yes, yeah, and, and yeah. you just ripped the words out of my mouth. It's this expectation for the women to act male, yeah. which makes them do things like this, I believe. And it's also the expectation of men to act like men, the cliche man, you know, to not do anything that might be seen as feminine. Mm. And it's like, get off your horse. Mm. I am not being a feminine well, I'm not being a woman by having my child with me. It's my child. Mm. You know, like, touch wood, if I was to lose my wife tomorrow, what, I'm no longer going to raise my children. Mm. I'm not ever going to take them anywhere. I'm not going to walk them to school. I'm not going to pick them up. I'm not going to take them to the doctors. What, I then suddenly abandon my child because I'm a male. Mm. You know, like, no, no, the, the, this, and it's, look, it's not just in Cyprus. It's across the planet. Mm. Um, some places Absolutely. are- Absolutely. Yeah, global. It's a global thing. Some places are a lot more advanced than us, like Sweden, for example, mm. but um, not a, <laughs> we have a lot of work. Mm. Um but I can see the inroads. It's, it's it is happening. It's changing. The discussions are there. At the moment, we're still we're upset because the discussions are perhaps negative at the moment, and they're, they're conflict discussions. Mm. But the fact that they're even happening is a start. Mm. Mm. So, although I really see that it's a peripheral issue for Cypriots, I mean, we just mm. don't see it. We don't see gender as a real issue, mm. as a real problem. Um, we don't see trafficking as a real women trafficking as a. We don't see the sex industry as a real problem. Not until it happens to them. Mm. Mm. Not until it happens to them, until or, or to someone that they love. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole. If it doesn't affect me, it's. Uh, let's just use a very different example: road safety. Mm. I haven't been killed in an accident. I haven't had an accident. I haven't been severely deformed in an accident. I haven't lost someone in an accident. Mm. Not at Touch least recently. Mm. Yeah, touchwood. Um, so. I won't fight for it. But the minute it happens to you, the minute that you are in a wheelchair or the minute that whatever, or well, you've lost a loved one, suddenly you are going to become the world's greatest activist mm. because it affects you personally. Mm. And I wish that we were more proactive than reactive with mm. these things. Mm. Mm. You know? yeah. oh. So look, on a closing note, mm. um, because we're, we've been talking for just a little more than an hour, mm-hmm. um, where do you see Cyprus in five years and in 10 years' time? I think that um, after this catastrophe that we had with Ersin Tatar, um, the Turkish Cypriot community are going to vote in a more progressive um, federation supporting leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the, the Greek Cypriot community will do the same. And um, I believe that uh, a solution will be on the table again. Um, I feel like I don't, I don't share this um, lack, this despair when it comes to the future of Cyprus and a reconciliation by communal, by zonal, federal Cyprus. I think once the citizenship issue for mixed married children also has been solved, mm-hmm. there'll be more incentive for people who have moved, whose families have moved from Turkey to Cyprus, to also want a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I feel like we can become. Um, I think the Republic of Cyprus has so much potential to become a resilient, strong state. Um, that can that can deal with the challenges of being an island in the Mediterranean, and I really do. I know I'm I'm finishing on such an optimistic note, and people are thinking, "Oh, how is that possible?" But I really believe that it is, and I see so much potential. I think um, we've got amazing health services um, mm-hmm. um, in the Republic of Cyprus. I I think uh, there's a lot to say on it, of course, but I. And, and it has been very inaccessible to Turkish Cypriots, but I think the Republic of Cyprus had um, the right thing in mind with the whole Gesi system. Mm-hmm. Um, when we compare it to a lot of uh, places in Europe, I think we're doing really well. Yeah. Um, we, which was also introduced by right-wing government, yeah, which is Yeah, it's interesting. Odd, yeah. It's a very social democratic thing to mm-hmm. do. And I think um, the, in, in terms of education as well, we're, we're, our youths are speaking in more than one tongue, whether it's English, Turkish or English, Greek. Um, and just generally, I, I have a, ho- a lot of hope for the future. I'm not very pessimistic. I think we can um, have effective policies, policies that um, provide good integration pol- politics for immigrants, asylum seekers, shall I say. Mm-hmm. Um and we we can find a way to 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 reaffirm all of the positive values that we share. Um, so I'm not I'm not really very pessimistic about the future. I'm actually very optimistic. I'm really glad to hear this. Yeah. No, I'm really glad to hear this, and I'm glad that we're ending on a positive note because uh, I myself have been feeling a little bit negative and pessimistic lately. So 
you always have a tendency to bring me up, so thank you. <laughs> and look, and I and I and I make this promise to you publicly that um, now that I can, I'm going to be a lot more vocal and a lot more active. Um, mm. I'm an open book. I'm available. Well, I, I really enjoy reading your inputs, and um, mm. I've I found uh, your comments on the what's going on in Palestine mm. um, to be very insightful and um, just very kind of spot on and <laughs> thank so you it was really refreshing to, to no thank you and you're going to be seeing a lot more of me not just in the friendship sphere but back into the political sphere and, uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. so, yeah thank you so much again for thank coming you. and thank you um, for inviting me. i am going to have you back um in your next iteration of Miner. <laughs> thank you so much and um let's get our kids together soon absolutely the first trilingual podcast station of cyprus island talks Open, diverse, free.